Hi everyone. I hope you've been enjoying 1830 service. Um, I think yeah, it's been great getting to um, show who we are to you guys. Um, I hope you enjoyed seeing all home groups as well. Um, and my name is Jerusha, like Jerusalem, but Jerusha. <laughs> and I am the person overseeing 1830 young adults at the moment. Um, so as you can tell from our name, 1830. We're basically adults, young adults, who range from broadly um, 18 to 30. Um, and it's a very interesting generation to oversee, as there's so many transitions that happen during this time. So from people leaving high school and going to uni or TAFE, and then starting their first jobs, and then getting into serious relationships, to getting engaged and married, and even having babies. There's so many transitions that happen during this time. Um, and so it's really um, quite a vibrant um, generation to be a part of. Now, the 1830 leaders and I, um, we believe that it's God's desire for young adults to develop healthy, godly patterns um, during this time that set them up to love God faithfully for the rest of their lives. And so our key verse for 1830 um, comes from Romans 12, 2, which says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And I just want to take some time to really honor the seniors' generations. Um, I know their generation Sunday was a while ago, um, but I really enjoyed that one. Um, and even Quinton's Sunday last week was pretty fun. Um, and thank you to the older ones for really guiding us and leading us and discipling us along the way. Um, and we just really want to honor you guys. But also we want to say to the younger generations, we look forward to being that for you guys, to guide you guys along and to um, help you guys along the way as well. So feel free to reach out to us as 1830. Um, so today, um, before I go into my message, I want to talk a little bit about 1830 as a generation. We are a generation with a lot of weird stuff. First of all, we've got weird words like woke, shook, lit, feels, bougie, TYSM, which, which apparently means thank you so much. Um, but some of these words probably don't even mean what you think they mean. Um, we also have weird um, food like a cronut, which is a mix of a croissant and a donut. Uh, we've got Dalgona coffee, which is kind of like whipped coffee that's really, really sweet. Um, I don't actually know how to make that. Um, in, instead of just giving you regular coffee, we put turmeric in our drinks just to make it a bit more interesting. And instead of serving you ice cream as a normal scoop, we kind of scroll it up and make it more expensive for you. We also have weird contraptions, like the picture over there is a picture of a water bottle. But there's just so much technology that goes into the making of a simple water bottle. Uh, we also have bamboo toothbrushes. And instead of using cling wrap, we've got beeswax wrap for keeping our food um, safe to eat, I guess. We also have weird videos that we make on apps like TikTok, where we have strange dance moves that no one can really fathom, I guess. Um, and we've got weird pictures as well that we put words on top of just to send a message out to people. And I think, um, and we call them memes, or some people might say memes. So, we're a generation with a lot of weird stuff. But in addition, I feel like um, these days, there's not only been a rise of weird things, 
which we probably, um, because we're a generation that has a lot more time and money and social connection compared to our grandparents' generation that maybe focus more on simply just surviving, we have so much more time to figure out different ways to entertain ourselves and come up with random ideas to do that. Um, so with the rise of weird stuff has also been the rise of many fake things, fake dodgy things, I'd say. There's been a rise of fake news, fake sellers online, people that try to you know, sell toilet paper but actually scamming people. Um, there's fake products, people who steal artists' works and then feign them as their own. Um, even people have fake relationships. There's a show called Catfish where people have relationships with people online for years and then they realize at the end that it was actually not who they thought they were. Um, and there's also fake technology where you get AirPods um, and you think you're spending money on AirPods but actually it's something else and it doesn't actually function like AirPods. Also, there are fake dodgy people around. So even with the bushfires this year, um, there were people who tried to use the bushfire to scam people of their money. And so I feel like our generation has really grown an appreciation for things and for people who are the real deal. Things that come from a good source, that serve a good purpose, with good intentions, and can, are proven good when tested and are reliable. Things like maybe a charity that uses money for the right reasons, or dog breeders who don't take advantage of dogs, or um, food that comes from sustainable sources, where, and we're willing to pay more money for all these things. So people appreciate things that are real, authentic, or things are people that they can trust. Now, I've had my personal share of experience um, with fake things. Um, when I went to Shanghai on my own a few years back, I went there for two weeks, and for a little bit of comfort, I bought um, Nescafe instant coffee from a local shop. And I was drinking that every morning, um, and I made a friend in China, and, um, and she was from Xi'an. And when she saw that I was drinking the instant coffee, she kind of had this look of horror in her face. And basically, she went on to tell me that what I was drinking was not real coffee. To say the least, I stopped drinking coffee um, while I was there. And then the other thing that um, I experienced, I, as a part-time speech pathologist working with kids, one of the games that we use is actually Pop-Up Pirate. You can get this for $25 at Kmart. Um, and when, basically this game operates with um, holes in a barrel and you've got plastic swords and you stick it into the barrels and when you get the right hole, the pirate actually pops out and the kids love this game. And basically I saw a small version of this in Taiwan for $1. So I bought it thinking that I could use that with the kids as well. But obviously when I used it with the kids, what happened was when I poked the swords in, the pirate didn't pop because I just got my money's worth. So in a world of many fake things, it's important for us to actually ask the question, is God the real deal? Is he worth following? Should we be paying attention to him? We did an online survey um, we, and we circulated it around um, the young adults and we just wanted to have an idea of what people thought about God, whether they thought um, he is a God with good intentions for us, um, whether he uh, is needed. And we also asked people to send in their questions 
And a lot of the questions that um, came in were all related to suffering, um, to the notion of us being good enough to be in heaven or to be saved, um, and also injustice and, and pain in the world. So in today's message, I'll be addressing some of these questions today and hopefully help to give some insight into the nature and character of God. And this message is not just for non-Christians, but also for those of us who call ourselves Christians to assess whether the way we live actually allows us, whether it reflects that we see God as the real deal or whether we actually put our trust in other things. But before I move forward with my sermon, I'm just going to have to say a quick prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just really thank you, God, um, for being a good God. And even today as I speak and talk about how you are the real deal, Father, I pray that you would open our hearts to receive something from you. I pray, Lord, that you would um, help me, God, to get out of the way so that people can encounter you in a powerful way, Lord. And we just commit this service to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, how do you know when something is the real deal? Or because it's 1830 Sunday, I'm going to say, how do you know when something is legit? You can consider three different factors. Firstly, you can consider the source of where something comes from. Or if it's a person, you kind of consider their history. Where are they from? The second factor you can consider is whether um, the purpose of the thing um, is good. Does it have a good purpose? And if it's somebody, you can go, are their intentions for me good? They're a real deal if they have good intentions. Um, the third factor you can, you can have a think about is reliability. So when you buy something, it's a good product or it's the real deal if it can actually do what it says or promises it'll do. And so with a person, we go, yeah, can this person follow through with their promises? And so in talking about whether God is the real deal today, I'm going to talk about these three factors. Um, but before I go into that, I'm going to talk about the key verse for today, which comes from John 3, 16 to 18. And you can read it with me if you have your Bibles. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. So let's talk about the source. Now, the Bible actually tells us that God is the source of love and not evil. To figure out if God is legit or the real deal, we need to ask if the source of where God comes from is good. The problem with this statement is that if God is God, then he is the source of life. He's the one that has been around since the beginning of time. So we can't actually ask if he comes from a good source because he is the source. So our question, more accurately, would then be, is God a source of good and kindness and of love? Or is he a source of evil and chaos in this world? And it says that God is the source of love and not evil. And on top of that, 
the Bible actually tells us that the love that we are capable of actually comes from a loving God, and the evil in the world actually reveals our need for God. Now, it says in Genesis 1, verse 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Because we are created by God, there are things in us that are a reflection of who God is. And this includes our desire to be um, in relationship, to be loved by others, and to love others as well. Now, for those of you who don't know me, I have a twin brother. His name is Isaac. And even though we grew up together, we're actually very, very different in many ways. My brother is a lot more passionate, um, a lot more emotional than me. And so if he sees something dodgy happening in public, or if um, someone's just being dodgy, he'll literally go up to that person and tell the person off. Whereas for me, I'm a lot more chill, sometimes a bit too chill. Now, my brother's a lot like my mom in personality, and I'm a lot like my dad. But physically, I actually look like my mom. Um, I resemble her, and I have a lot of her mannerisms. But my brother, on the other hand, is like my dad. He kind of looks like my dad, broadly, but most importantly, he has my dad's gigantic calves. So, as you can see, because we both have our parents' DNA, we've adopted some of their traits, including their personality, mannerisms, health, amongst other things. In the same way, being made in God's image makes us have some traits that actually reflect who he is. And one of his traits is his love. So I want to talk a bit more about the point that the love that we are capable of actually comes from a loving God. It says in John 3, 16 to 18, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then again, it says in 1 John 4, 7 to 8, Beloved, which means those who are loved by God, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. It begins with a God who desires to have a loving relationship with us. But he not only tells us that he loves us, but he wants us to show this love to those around us as well. So why is it then important for us to know the source of love, to know where love comes from? Because the Bible tells us that knowing where love comes from actually allows us to experience love more completely and we can experience it in a way that deeply satisfies us as well. I love sunsets. And so let me try to give you a bit of an analogy to help you understand God's love. It's kind of like um, having a picture of, sun of a sunset in your house versus actually going to the beach and experiencing the sunset. A picture of a sunset, you kind of put it up as decoration, you look at it with your eyes and you go, wow, the strokes are really pretty. Um, the artist did a good job. It's almost like the real thing, but that's the problem. It's just almost like the real thing. It's not quite the real thing. The real thing is going to the beach and experiencing the sunset with all your five senses. You walk onto the beach, you can feel the sand on your feet, you can feel the wind blowing against your face, you can breathe in the fresh air, you can smell the ocean and hear the waves and see the, the colors stretch across the sky. And that is what I would call next level. It is the full experience. And that's 
like God's love. Knowing that He is love and that He loves us and calls us to love others in the same way is the full experience of love. The Bible actually tells us that love is from God. And whether you are a Christian or not, you are capable of love because you are God's creation. Even mums who don't believe in God are able to lay their lives down for their children. The difference is whether you believe that this kind of love or your capacity to love stems from something random, stems from yourself, or from a creator or a God who loves you. So knowing that love comes from God rather than from ourselves allows us to experience it love more completely, allows us to experience it in a way that's deep and satisfying. Now I want to flip it around a bit and talk about how the evil in the world actually reveals our need for God. It says in John 3, 16 to 18, that for, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. So the Bible tells us that we need to be saved, but what from? What is it that condemns us? From the moment we were born, we have this innate desire to do things our way rather than God's way. We think we know better than God. And so this is the problem of sin. As much as we have an innate desire to love people and to be in relationship that reflects the heart of God, there's also sin that dwells within us that makes us do otherwise. So even though we've been created in the image of God, this image has almost been defaced or tainted by sin. And we form our own versions of truth and what we think is good and what we think is love, rather than trusting in what God, our Creator, says is good and what He says is love. And then what we end up experiencing then are counterfeit versions of love or love that is incomplete. We kind of settle for that picture of the sunset in our houses. I think a lot of people are quick to blame God for all the bad and the suffering and the pain in this world, but we actually need to take some time to think about how we actually contribute to all of that. Sin has a way of making us pursue satisfaction in all the wrong places. In our pursuit of money, in sex, in what people think of us, in entertainment, and even in family. But the problem is that all these things are not the real deal. They are the fake pop-up pirate. You know, you poke all these swords in thinking that the pirate will pop, but the pirate won't because it's fake. It just leads to dissatisfaction, jealousy, envy, greed, um, discontentment. And the problem about sin is that if we actually love it more than God, it stops us from then experiencing a relationship with God, who is the real deal. A lot of the pain and the suffering in the world is the result of us choosing to do things our way instead of God's way. And even Jesus himself was not protected from the evil in this world. He suffered at the hands of evil men, and God let him go through that for a greater purpose. And the brokenness in this world actually points us to the need to be saved. We need to be saved from our sin, our propensity to hurt each other, our propensity to destroy this earth. 
We need God to save us from our sin, which condemns us and leads us to death. And it's obvious that we can't save ourselves. So we talked about the first factor, which is God is the source of love, not evil. I want to talk about the second bit, which um, asks the question, what is God's intention for us? Is it good or is it bad? It says in John three sixteen to 18 that he did not send Jesus into the world to condemn us, but to save us through Jesus. He desires that we should not perish, but have eternal life. So in asking the question, is God the real deal? And, and it, does he have good intentions for us? Yes, God has good intentions and he desires to save us and not condemn us. We were already on the path to eternal death, which is hell, because of sin. But God, out of his love, provided a way out through Jesus. And hell is not just bad because it's described as a fiery lake of burning sulfur. It's bad because it's a place void of everything that God is. It's a place void of God, void of his love, his kindness, his peace, his rest. That's hell. And we were all on the way there because of sin. But God in his love has rescued us through the sacrifice of his son. We just need to acknowledge the truth that we're broken and sinful and in need of help. And he has saved us through Jesus. And that's what the gospel is. Unfortunately, I think a lot of us actually have flawed ideas of God's love, not through our own experiences, but through media, from the things we've heard or through our encounters with flawed Christians or flawed people, and we kind of dismiss God. I myself as well struggle with some flawed ideas of God's love. So this is a picture of me in Singapore. I grew up there and only moved over here um, about 15, 16 years ago now. So being born in Singapore... Um, I was exposed to a culture and a society that was full of rules and regulations. I love Singapore, don't get me wrong, um, but there's some parts of it that, that cause me to have, um, I think, too much fear of authority. So, for example, um, when I was younger in primary school, I went to Chinese tutoring, and um, I remember I failed a, a, a few spelling tests, and whenever I failed a spelling test, the teacher would actually cane my hand and gave me a stroke for every word below passing mark. Um, and I remember also having to stand in front outside of the classroom when I did something wrong. Um, I know of people who had to stand in front of the entire school to be caned in public so that everyone knew that you stuffed up somehow. And I think because of these experiences, it's taught me to fear God and fear doing the wrong thing, which is actually good. But also because of this culture of kind of like shame, I struggle to remember that God is a loving and gracious God. And he calls me as well to be gracious to other people. That God is someone who seeks to save and not to punish for the sake of shaming somebody. Um, and the reason why he actually punishes or corrects us sometimes is actually for our good and for us to learn rather than actually shaming and condemning us. But 
sometimes we also make the mistake of um, thinking that God deals with people the way that we would deal with people. I'm not sure about you guys, but when people hurt me, I kind of want to hurt them back. Or when they do something wrong to me, my instinct is to punish them for being unfair or doing something against me. And that's definitely not a good thing, but it's a human instinct thing to do something to others, do unto others what they've done to us. But God's response to sin is entirely different. His intentions are very different to our intentions for people. Jesus himself said in Matthew 6, 35 to 36, Love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. And if you read the Bible, it paints a picture of a God who punishes evil and disobedience because he is a just God. But also, he is a God who is merciful, kind, compassionate, slow to anger, and super patient with us. He is a God who chose to send his son into the world to save not perfect people, but people who are broken, sinful, and in need of a savior. And even though my childhood taught me to be really fearful of authority, I know God is a loving father whom I don't need to be afraid of, but I can be reverent of. I can acknowledge his power and his authority, but also the fact that he loves me so much and he loves everyone so much. So what is God's intention? His intention is to save every single person so that we might know his love be in relationship with him, and then show this same love to those around us that they might know him too. Now, we've talked about the source, that God is a good source and that he is a source of love, not evil. His intention for us is good. And then the last factor in considering the question, is God the real deal? Is reliability. You know, in relationships or friendships, you know a friend is a good friend or the real deal when they follow through with their promises, when they do what they say they'll do. So in asking if God is legit, we need to ask, is he reliable? And the Bible actually tells us that he didn't just say that he loved us or that he has saved us. He actually showed it through his actions and he continues to show it today. Back to John 3, 16 to 18. God didn't just say that he would love us. He didn't say that he would save us from our sins. Even before we've done anything to deserve it, he showed his love and gave us a way out through the sacrifice of Jesus, knowing that we were not able to save ourselves. And he didn't make empty promises to us. He fulfilled his promise and did exactly what he said he would do. And some of us might go, how is this relevant to me? This happened like 2,000 years ago. Why do I need to be considering this? And my response to that is, God's love and his sacrifice is not relevant to 2,000 years ago. It's relevant even today. Jesus dying for us um, was not the end of the story. If it ended there and he remained dead, he would only just be as powerful as any other man. 
But Jesus not only showed his love to us by taking on the consequence and the darkness of sin upon himself, he showed that he overcame it by rising from the dead. And he is alive today. He did this to show us that he is more than all the darkest, most hideous sins you can imagine in this world. More than all our past mistakes, our greatest fears, our insecurities, and all the condemnation that we deserve. He did this to overcome death and sin so that we don't even need to fear death when it comes. We don't worship a God who is dead and lifeless. We worship a God who is alive, a God who showed his love through his actions and continues to show it today. It can be hard to describe an experience of God's love, um, and to explain intimacy with God because it's about an experience in a relationship. But I'll try by telling you about my experience with God. He's kind of been with me um, in my best and worst times, but I'll tell you about one of my worst. So when I was a speech pathology student about eight years ago, um, I actually failed one of my placements at a hospital. And until then, I actually had done pretty well at uni. I was kind of cruising through. Um, and to say that this hit me hard would be an understatement. And during that time, um, when I even had to do my repeat placement, I'm not a genuinely anxious person, but during that time, I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep, um, I couldn't think logically. Um, and that was the first time I actually experienced an overwhelming sense of anxiety. Um, and as much as I love my friends and my family, there was actually nothing they could do to actually make me feel better and to help me with my anxiety. But God was the only one that could actually reach deep into my heart and heal that hurt. And he didn't only do that with one encounter. He did it over many encounters, over many years. And one morning, um, so I'll tell you about a few of my encounters with him. So one morning before I was heading off, sorry, one morning when I was heading off to my repeat placement, I was just reading the Bible and I read from Isaiah 41. And it said these words. For I am the Lord, your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. Do not be afraid, for I myself will help you, declares the Lord. Your God, the, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. And um, when I read these words, I was trying to let these words sink in so that I wouldn't go into placement fearful that day. And um, my dad was actually nice enough to give me a ride to placement that day. And um, as I was about to get out of the car, my dad actually stopped me and he um, offered to pray for me. And at this point, he took hold of my right hand and prayed for me. And it was only later that I realized that God was actually reminding me of what I had read that morning. 
and was assuring me that he was with me, that through my dad literally taking hold of my right hand and telling me that I didn't need to fear going into displacement, and that God was with me. Whew. A few years later, in prayer ministry, when I shared that I was struggling with self-doubt and feeling like a fraud um, at work because I had insecurities stemming from me failing placement, someone who had been praying for me in a separate room who had no idea what I had shared um, felt like God actually gave them song lyrics to share with me. And it was a song that had been written in like 1970, before I was even born. Um, but these were the song lyrics. Put your hand in the hand of the man who stilled the water. Put your hand in the hand of the man who calmed the sea. And I was like, okay, God, I get your point. You don't have to repeat the word hand so many times. I get it. When I saw that, um, I was shocked. Because again, God did more healing in my heart than only he could, reminding me that he was with me and that he was a God that I could trust. That with him, I didn't need to fear, I didn't need to remain in my insecurities, but could move forward with him. And this is just one little story. <clears throat> this is just one little story of how God has been real to me. And we could say it's a weird coincidence or whatever. But the fact is, God did healing on my heart that only he could, and that I was one way, and then I encountered God, and I was different after that. And as we heard from Nat, Dranlin, Nick, Henry, in their testimony, God was real to them in ways that they could relate to. And that's our God. He's a relational God, a loving God who meets us where we are. And all He wants is a heart that's open to Him, and He will not force Himself on us. So in summary... In asking the question, is God the real deal? Yes, He is the real deal because He is the source of love. He has good intentions for us and He is reliable. And because He is the real deal, we can actually trust Him. It says in Jeremiah 17, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water, that sends its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. For those of us who call ourselves Christians, this is a good time for us to think about who or what we put our trust in. Do you feel like you are a well-watered tree or a tree that's withering away? especially during these times of chaos, uncertainty, fear, maybe the things that you've actually put your trust in have been failing you and not proving to be as reliable as they seem to be. Maybe some of us have put our trust in our jobs, in wealth, in relationships, in family, in friends, in sex, in entertainment. But the thing is, these things are not the real deal. They pale in comparison to the real deal, which is a relationship with God himself. These things that we put our trust in fade away and they don't meet the mark. They don't satisfy our inner need for more. And if you are a Christ follower, this is the time we are to dig deeper 
into God and set aside time to, to sink our roots deep into God's Word and His truth so that we can flourish and bear fruit during this time of drought. So who or what do you put your trust in? For those of us who don't know God, God is calling you to experience a peace, rest, stability, satisfaction that only He can give. It's becoming more and more evident in this world that we are broken and in need of a Savior, of one that we can trust. One that doesn't only show His love to us, but calls us to love others radically and to be a light in this dark world. So I want to end by praying for you guys. I want to pray for broadly three groups of people. The first group are people who have heard this message and they, they realize that God is the real deal and you want to put your trust in God for the first time. So later you can pray with me for the first part. Um, the second group of people are people who are wanting to suss this out, who want to find out a bit more about real, if, if God truly is the real deal and you want to ask questions. I invite you to bring your doubts, your questions, your thoughts all to the table and have a discussion. Find out the answers to your questions. Don't just let it slip away. And for Christians, those who are struggling to put your trust in God, I want to pray for you guys <coughs> during this time as well. Um, Heavenly Father, um, and for those of you who want to put your trust in God, feel free to pray with me for this bit. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a God that we can trust. Thank you for being loving and patient with us, God. And thank you, Father, for sending Jesus Christ, your only Son, to die on the cross for broken humanity. And Father, we open our hearts to you and we receive you into our lives to be changed by you and made more into your likeness, God. And we put our trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. And Father, for the rest of us, um, for those of us who are wanting to know a bit more before we decide if you are the real deal, Father, I pray that you will open our eyes and open our hearts to your truth, God. May we not stop until we find answers to our questions. May we not be distracted by the things of this world, but to actually delve deeper into who you are, God. And for the Christians who are struggling to put our trust in you and putting our, and instead we've been putting our trust in other things. Father, may we know what it means to abide in you. May we know what it means to find our identity in you. And Father, may you satisfy us in drought. May you satisfy the deepest longings of our soul, God. And we just thank you, Lord, so much for who you are and that we can trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.